Good morning. It's Thursday, October 18th, 2012, and Audible presents the New York Times Audio Digest. Here's what's making news. On the front page this morning, we hear from Damascus as denial is slipping as war rattles capital. Rival campaigns intently pursue votes of women. And for Bloomberg, a super PAC of his making. In this morning's national headlines, vitamin use is linked to lowered cancer risk. Presidential debate leaves questioners undecided and man accused of plot to blow up a Federal Reserve Bank. In today's business headlines, big drug factories add to shortages and dangers. Citigroup's decisive chairman has an unusual role and Yelp attempts to halt deceptive reviews of businesses. There will be more business stories, more national and international news, a roundup from the sports page, and the opinions of New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof. Now, from the editors of the New York Times, here are the stories on today's front page. The top stories written from Damascus, Syria, by Janine DiGiovanni, entitled Denial Slipping as War Rattles Capital. Rifa was growing frantic. Her husband had called to say that he and her brother were stuck on their way home from work outside the Syrian capital, normally a 25-minute drive. There was fighting in a northern suburb, he said, and traffic was frozen. Tensions rose as the hours passed. It is never good to be out after dark in Damascus now, especially trapped in a traffic jam, unable to flee. Finally, Rifa's husband called again. They had escaped and returned to their workplace to pass the night, another concession to their changing world. War has come to Damascus, not on the scale of Aleppo or Homs, at least not yet. But the difference from just a few months ago is unmistakable. With sandbag checkpoints every half mile and soldiers methodically searching vehicles for weapons, simple movement is becoming impossible. Where is Damascus headed? Are we the next Aleppo? Rifa asked a few days later. How soon before our city, our markets are destroyed? This is the center of Bashar al-Assad's power, the stronghold he tried for months to shield from a popular uprising that has inexorably been transformed into a bloody civil war. As his troops battled insurgents all around the county, Assad was determined that here, at least, he would preserve an air of normalcy, of routine, of certainty, that life would go on, as it had before. Such illusions are no longer possible. The reality of war has crept into daily life, and there's a sense of inevitability. Damascus was once known for its all-night party scene. Now, few people venture out after dark, and kidnappings are rampant. Gasoline is increasingly scarce, and as winter approaches, people are worried about shortages of food and heating oil. Streets are closed at a moment's notice, traffic diverted, bridges shut down. Even long-time residents and taxi drivers get lost. Shelling and machine gun fire are so commonplace, children no longer react. Discussions among friends are no longer of the real world, as one writer put it. Talk turns more naturally to the fate of the homeless in the city's parks or the traumatization of the children. People, one woman said, talk of death. Damascus seems now like a city under siege, where for most people danger is a wearying companion, so much so that the last names of those interviewed for this article are being withheld for their protection. 
For many Damascenes, what is most difficult is coming to terms with the harsh reality of a civil war of Syrians against Syrians. Under the law, Syrians are required to donate blood when they graduate from high school or college or receive a driver's license. It means we all shared the same blood in some ways, said Ronnie, a 27-year-old marketing executive. Now, when these guys kill each other, they might be killing someone whose very blood is in their veins. It's crazy.